The word of scripture toward which we want to direct our attention this morning, the fifth words that Jesus spoke from the cross, taken from John chapter 19, verse 28. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Jesus said, I am thirsty. Dear friends in Christ, when Christians use the word enlightened, what we mean by that is when the Holy Spirit comes to us through word and sacrament and calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. When the Holy Spirit gives us faith to believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's enlightened. Historians speak about enlightenment too. But it's anything but Christian. In fact, there was a period of time called the Age of Enlightenment. It occurred in France back in the 18th century. France, and particularly Paris, they were filled with all kinds of philosophers. Philosophers who said that they were enlightened. Probably the most famous of them, although in many respects I would say infamous, was a man by the name of Voltaire. What they tried to prove in their enlightenment and in their words, the absurdities of the Bible. In fact, these philosophers would get together once a week and they would go into the scripture and they would try to reveal the absurdities that they found. Well, one particular day, when they all got together, they were going to read through the passion of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus. So someone read it, and then one of their philosophers, his name was Diderot, he said these words. He said, I know no one, either in France or in the whole world, who is able to write with more tact and talent than the fishermen and publicans who have written these accounts. And I venture to assert that no one is capable of writing a tale which is so simple and yet so sublime and which has such powerful influence on the minds and possesses such continued influence after the lapse of so many centuries. You know, I don't think a Christian could have said it better. There was no laughter. There was complete silence. There was no ridicule. There was no mocking. Like I said, there was complete silence. And what was interesting about it all was this, that that was the last time that society of philosophers met. They would never meet again. Today, we call Palm Sunday, or people say it's Passion Sunday. And like I said, we're doing a little bit of both. Today, our sermon really fits with Passion Sunday as we continue to consider these words of Christ from the cross. I thirst, or I am thirsty. It was a word of need, a need to fulfill Scripture, and a need to suffer and pay for the sins of mankind. Now, of the seven words, that were said from the cross by Jesus, certainly these are the shortest. 
And uh, what's also interesting about them, even though Jesus was speaking them in Aramaic, and I really don't know the words in Aramaic, but when the Bible was recorded, it was written in Greek. The term, I am thirsty, actually is one word. One word of four letters. Now, someone might say, well, pastor, how in the world are you going to preach a whole sermon uh, on, on, a, on a phrase like this, so short? Well, I'm going to try. <laughs> I'm going to try. Because there's a whole lot of meaning, a whole lot of depth, and these words are so profound if you stop and think. First of all, there was indeed a need, a need that Scripture would be fulfilled. There are two places in the Bible that speak about uh, this particular need and the fulfillment of Scripture when Jesus said, I am thirsty. If you go to Psalm 22, written by King David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, actually, it was Jesus who was using the, uh, the, the pen of King David, who spoke uh, regarding these words. If you remember Psalm 22, you could, uh, you could almost read it as, as, as at the cross and see Jesus just, it was all fulfilled right there in front. It just tells us a thousand years before it happened, everything that would happen to Jesus. Psalm 22 begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in Psalm 22, you'll find these words. Again, Jesus speaking through the, uh, the pen of, of, uh, of David. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Now, if we read the whole psalm, we see that it is indeed the suffering of Christ a thousand years before it happened. The other place. We already read here this morning, Psalm 69. Again, written by David a thousand years before Christ came into this world. And yet, Jesus, speaking through the, tongue, uh, the pen of King David, wrote these words, or said these words, They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. Both Psalms, both Psalms, written a millennium before it all happened. Written because the Holy Spirit was uh, certainly knowing of all the things that was going to happen a thousand years hence. Amazing, isn't it? There's a star in the sky that's called Eta Carinae. It's an interesting star. It has a mass that's about a hundred times greater than, than our sun. And uh, a lot of astronomers think that it is going to go out of existence. They said in another 10,000 years, it seems to be showing signs that there's going to be a supernova where it's going to explode and then be gone. What's interesting about it is this. They said, well, it may happen in 10,000 years, but it, the star is also 9,000 light years away from us. So it'll explode go out of existence, but it'll take 9,000 years for people on this earth to see it. When I read that, I thought, there's got to be an illustration in there. And I think there is. It's kind of like prophecy, isn't it? 
All these things were said about Jesus, his thirst, among other things. All these things were said about Jesus a thousand years before they happened. But it took a thousand years for all of it to be seen by those who were followers and those who were not followers of Jesus. You see, when Jesus said those things, uh, when Jesus said, I am thirsty, it was not a coincidence. When the soldiers got the uh, wine vinegar and gave it to him for, uh, to drink, that was not a coincidence. Our almighty God, our powerful, all-seen, all all-omniscient God, all-wise God, saw all these things in advance. And they were written down. So that when people would see it happen, they would connect it with the Messiah. Or at least they should have. It also shows to us that the Word of God is indeed the Word of God. Because who can predict such things so far in advance? Except God Himself. And it proves over and over again that the Bible is truly a special book, the very Word of God. I remember one time years ago, I was sitting in my office and uh, doing some work, and I got a phone call, and I never did find out the woman's name. But I could tell by her, uh, by her voice that she was, she was disturbed. And it seems that she and her husband ended up having some kind of argument. Well, actually, I found out what the argument was about. You see, she was a Christian, and her husband was a Jew. Her husband believed in the Old Testament, but he didn't believe in Christ. He didn't believe in the New, uh, the New Testament. And she asked me this question, how can I show my husband that Jesus is the Messiah that they were waiting for? I told her, take a look at all the prophecies in the Old Testament and show him one by one how they're fulfilled in the New. Because there are over 300 of them. And somewhere along the line, pray that the Holy Spirit changes his mind that not all of these passages are accidental. I had a similar situation in my ministry. I've told Bible class about this. A man had married one of our members. He was Jewish. She was a member of our church. And I asked him if he would go through a Bible information class, a membership class with me, just so that he would know what his wife believed. And he went through it, and he was, he was a great student. We came to the end, and he said, Pastor, I still need to be convinced. So I said, okay, let's meet on Thursdays from 7 to 8 in the morning, and we'll go through something special. So I took him through the Gospel of Matthew, because Matthew was written to Jews, and at many, many times it says that Jesus did something, and all of this was, uh, was done to fulfill the Scriptures. I think there's something like 20-some times in the in the Matthew that the Old Testament is quoted as a fulfillment of Jesus doing something or another. We went through the book of Acts, and he wanted to go through the book of Acts because he said, I want to see and, and understand the growth of the Christian church. So we went through the book of Acts. And then we got to the prophecies. Like I said, there are over 300 of them. We hit 125. And you know what happened? On 125, he said, I need to get baptized. 
It was an awesome experience for me. It took four years, but the Holy Spirit led him to the truth. You see, <clears throat> when we talk about these words, I thirst, they're just one, it, these words are just one, one of the many, many prophecies, the over 300 prophecies fulfilled in the New Testament, proving that the Bible is the word of God and that the one about whom the Bible speaks and is the center of all is also God, Jesus Christ, the Savior of all. But this little word, I thirst, in the Greek, has a lot more meaning. And that meaning is this, that Jesus not only was God, but he was very human also. He took on human flesh. He was flesh and blood like we are. Back when I was a much younger, in fact, when I was in the eighth grade, through high school, through college, played football. When, uh, when back in those days, there wasn't any emphasis on the fact that you're supposed to hydrate yourself. In fact, the coaches that we had would say that you shouldn't hydrate yourself. It's going to make you sick. And in fact, they would deprive us of water because they wanted to toughen us up. And in fact, when we started getting cramps in our legs, <laughs> they would say, well, see, you're out of shape, instead of the fact uh, that we were dehydrated. Well, all that sort of changed right about that time. In fact, uh, something happened that uh, doctors now said you needed to hydrate. Athletes needed to drink a lot of water so that they wouldn't dehydrate. In fact, what came forth were products like Gatorade. And I'm sure you know the story about Gatorade. It goes back to the University of Florida. Their football team, they were getting beat all the time. And one of the coaches noticed this, that when it came to the end of the third quarter and the fourth quarter, it seemed like their football players kind of fizzled out. So one of the coaches went over to the doctors at the University of Florida, where uh, they have a teaching hospital. And there at the teaching hospital, he got four doctors together, and he asked them to, to, to make something so that all the electrolytes could be restored, that all the sweating had taken out of those bodies. And they came up with something. They called it Gatorade. At first, it was kind of interesting because Gatorade tasted awful. In fact, many of the football players, when they drank it, they actually vomited because it tasted so bad. And that changed. <laughs> it's amazing to me that University of Florida, in residuals and royalties from Gatorade, has gotten about a billion dollars for their university. Now, you're probably saying, Pastor, where are you going with this? Well, I'm going to the cross. That's where I'm going. I'm going to the cross. Insatiable thirst can certainly be a horrifying experience. Maybe some of you have gone through it. Maybe after exercise. Maybe it was before some surgery and they forbade you from drinking water. It's even found in the Bible. We think of someone like Samson, who took a donkey's jaw 
and killed a thousand of his enemies. And after it, he was so, so thirsty, he went into a frenzy. Or you think about the rich man and poor Lazarus. Lazarus, who was, rich, uh, who was poor on this earth, but he had faith. He died and he went to heaven. The rich man who had everything on this earth except faith, he died and went to hell. The greatest favor that the rich man could say that would be done to him if his Lazarus came down from heaven into hell with a tiny drop of water on the tip of his finger. Jesus suffered too. Jesus suffered too. When Jesus said these words, I am thirsty, it was about three o'clock in the afternoon. About 18 hours earlier, he had been taken by the mob and arrested. He went through all kinds of trials, in fact, five of them. Went to Annas, Caiaphas, Pilate, Herod, and then back to Pilate again. During those trials, he was beaten up, slugged, hit. Fists were planted on his face, probably broke uh, uh, bones in his face. The crown of thorns jammed on his head. Beaten by rods and sticks and staffs. He was judged to be guilty. He was flogged 39 times with the cat of nine tails, tearing the skin off his back. He was then trudged through the city, so weakened that he couldn't carry the cross. Simon of Cyrene had to be uh, asked, had to be demanded to carry the cross for Jesus. Got to the cross, nailed to it, spikes in his hands and feet, raised up. Probably a little ledge, a tiny ledge on the cross where he could, he could kind of sit. But it was small, and he probably had to squirm a little bit to kind of just get in place. Tearing the skin in his hands. People mocking him. People ridiculing him. We heard it in the reading today. Did you hear at all? Did someone come up to Jesus and say, Hey, mister, you look like you could use a drink of water. Jesus suffered. Jesus suffered. Jesus was truly human. His body was not some kind of phantom body that some people believe he was. He was flesh and blood like we are. In fact, that's what Scripture says. In the book of Hebrews, it says, For we do, not have a, uh, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, and yet he was without sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He was a man who was tempted just like we are. He was human, tempted just like we are. And yet it says here, because he understands that, we can go to him, we can go to God's throne with confidence to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He understands. And you know he understands pain too, doesn't he? We wake up and our backs hurt. We wake up and our knees hurt. He understands pain. He went through it. And the same thing that applies to the temptations that we receive, because he received them, we can go to him and ask for help. 
The same thing applies to the pain that we receive. We can go to God's throne with confidence to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In other words, it's not just aspirin time. It's prayer time, too. I thirst. It certainly brings out the humanity of Jesus. I don't know about you, but you know, over the years, you know, pastor goes to a hospital bed a lot of times to see members. And there are times when those members never get off the hospital bed. And I notice something, that the closer people get to death, they call out many times, I'm thirsty. So what happens? A nurse gets a cup and fills it with crushed ice, takes a spoon, and puts a few pieces of crushed ice into the mouth. Or you go to hospice, and the same thing takes place. And sometimes as a pastor, I've done that. I've taken the cup filled with ice and put it in the mouths of those who were there because they were thirsty. Thirst is very human. And that's who Jesus is. Human. The writer to the Hebrews says, the writer to the, uh, the Hebrews says, since children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is the devil. Since children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. You see, this was God's plan. We call it the vicarious atonement. Atonement. at onement, right? Necessary, because sins have separated us from our God. But he was the sacrifice. He was the one that paid the price to atone, to pay for our sins, to bring us together. Vicarious, meaning substitutionary. Not us, but him on our behalf. Martin Luther said this, and listen to it real closely. He said, Lord Jesus, you are my righteousness. I am your sin. You took on you what was mine, yet said on me, what was yours. You became what you were not, that I might become what I was not. Jesus for us. I thirst a word of need. You bet. The need to fulfill Scripture, the need to suffer and pay for the sins of the world. Amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.